All right, so um, we are this morning hitting on the topic of mission. So as we continue to go through our study in the book of Acts, we are in Acts chapter 13. We're covering the first 12 verses of this chapter. And the title of this morning's message is simply On Mission. On Mission. This is a topic that is covered often um, in churches. What it means to be on mission Oftentimes, as we think about being on mission, we think about foreign lands and preparing ourselves for that very thing to go out into, whether it be Mexico, Haiti, Thailand, wherever it is, that's being on mission. But what we need to understand is that we're on mission. As Christians, we're on mission, and we should be on mission every single day at any single moment, being prepared to do that which God calls us to do. Now, D.L. Moody once said, Quote, it is clear you don't like my way of doing evangelism. And this was a response to a critic. (laughs) D.L. Moody, wonderful D.L. Moody, says, It is clear you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raise some good points. Frankly, I sometimes do not like my way of doing evangelism. But I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Close quote. You know, you don't have to be perfect when you testify of what the Lord's done in your life. You just have to be sincere and know, continue to grow, understanding what it was that took place in your own life so that you can clearly explain that to someone who questions that salvation. Now, evangelism is simply desiring to see a person change from remaining in their sin and in their condemnation, in their disbelief in Jesus as the Son of God and their Savior, and Lord, two, and this is it, two, being forgiven of their sin and knowing salvation from eternal condemnation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. We make it difficult. We make it complicated. Evangelism is the personal effort exerted to help someone come to believe in Jesus Christ by testifying, by a personal confession that Jesus not only came to live on the earth through the virgin birth of Mary, but he died, the unblemished Lamb of God, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave. Evangelism is is simply bringing that person to change into believing, from unbelief to believing in Jesus Christ, and personally surrendering to him. So being on mission for God, being on mission for God is simply being available and willing to be sent by him to do that which he desires of you to accomplish his plans. Basically, it's this, his plans fulfilled through you. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared? Are you available? And are you willing we know 2 Peter 3.9 says that God desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We know in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, it says that God commands us to do the work of an evangelist and to fulfill our ministry. We know in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 that God wants us to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So, we are to make every effort to be prepared to be sent by God 
to do something he desires at any given moment. I'm reminded of, of Isaiah the prophet. How it was that as God called him, he says, send me. Send me. Here I am. Send me. Uh, with Eli, Samuel was, was learning to do that very thing. You know, to hear the voice of God, to discern the voice of God. Say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Just, I'm available. What is it that you want me to do? And the question for you and I is, can we be found faithful? Can he count on you? Much of the time, out of fear of rejection, we make evangelism out to be more than what it is. We imagine it's having the perfect system to win someone to Christ. You know, if we just go down the line and say this and do that, and at this time, no, I don't know. I know many of you have have witnessed, right? Does every conversation go the same way? Not a one, right? Not not a one. I learned that. It's like I, I remember when I was learning to share my faith, and I thought, well, he's asking the wrong question. And hold on, wait, don't say that just yet because I'm not done with like point one and then point two. I have to go through Romans Road. So stop. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. We're the ones that make it difficult. Can you have a dialogue with someone? If you can, that's all it takes. And a faith in God and knowing what he's done in your life. Share that with others. It's not a perfect system by which we evangelize. It's a perfect God whom we've come to know through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Because it's not us who saves anyone. It's God. And it's the Holy Spirit's work to draw people to Christ. It's not us. So the burden is lifted off of you. It's his work through and through. It is by the reading, studying, and application of God's word that we are prepared for such a work at any given moment. At any given moment that the Holy Spirit chooses to send us into those situations. But we must be set apart from, listen to this, we must be set apart from the things that would hold us back from doing God's work and then set apart to the Lord to be available and willing to do His work. His one work being the seeking and the saving of lost souls. For it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Being on mission for the Lord Christ Jesus is to have our mind and heart set on fulfilling that mission. Are you on mission? Are you always ready? We should be. We ought to be. We should be willing, open, giving to do that very thing. Seeking and saving the lost. And we see a great, I believe we see a great example of this very thing before us in this chapter with Paul and Barnabas. So let's read three things, three simple things that we're going to see this morning. These are basic elements of our faith. This is something that we should be encouraged with this morning. Number one, being set apart, as we've already talked about a bit. And then also, number two, being sent out to what that looks like. And number three, save the lost. So set apart, sent out, and save the lost. Those three things. Let's take a look at how it was that Paul and Barnabas were set apart for this work. Verse 1 in chapter 13 of Acts says, Now there were in the church at Antioch 
prophets, and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this is uh, just obviously very brief, a very brief description of being set apart. Now there was much work that took place leading up to this very moment, but this is basically the time in which they were called and they were set apart unto the Lord. Now, Antioch, we need to understand geographically, it's located in present-day Syria. So you, you hit um, uh, Israel and Jerusalem and just go straight up. And you'll go into Syria and, uh, and Antioch is, is where we would know Syria to be today. We know that besides these others listed... Uh, John Mark, uh, being with Paul and Barnabas in Antioch, uh, after having delivered the financial gift to Jerusalem. So John Mark was there with them, and there were many others, but there were a few that were listed here. As we see here, Paul and Barnabas were surrounding uh, themselves with prophets and teachers while in Antioch. Um, They were giving of themselves to continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's interesting because we know that the Apostle Paul uh, went out into the wilderness and, and he remained there for how many years being taught by the Lord? You guys remember? How long? Three years. Yeah, three years. And yet he wasn't done. You know, sometimes we go to Bible college and we think, well, that's all we need. You know, that, no, surround yourself with teachers. Surround yourself with people who know the word, because until we go home to be with the Lord, we ought to, like the Apostle Paul say and confess, we have not arrived, right? We of all people are the chief of sinners, and so we, we can never learn enough. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas, as we see, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and yet this is where he was. He was surrounding himself with the fellowship of the saints, continuing to grow in the Lord. Now, some of which were listed, it's it's interesting because I was thinking, well, how do I pronounce uh, this man's name? Simeon, who is also called, as uh, the French claim, by the way, this name, Niger, right? But then we know of Nigeria. So as as I looked this up, it was interesting how it was. It's like, no, you don't pronounce it like the name Nigeria. You pronounce it Niger, right? So I like Niger. Let's call him Niger. <laughs> Niger was there, Lucius, and so is Manan. Niger means black or dark, very simple. So it is believed that he was from Africa. Nothing more is said about him. Lucius We know he was a man from Cyrene, which would be present-day Libya. That's where it would be, in northern Africa, along the the southern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So you look at the continent of Africa at the very top, um, just below the Mediterranean Sea, on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea, you see where it was that Lucius was from, Cyrene. Menaean is a man who is described as being a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. What a friend! Woo! 
Herod, the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Obviously, they went in two different directions. It's interesting how it is that sometimes we grow up with certain people. We're around, you know, those whom, you know, they're, they're just great friends, people that we love and, and respect. But at the moment that we are confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's interesting how sometimes our roads seem to split at that point. There are many friends that I grew up with that I would still do anything for, and yet we've gone in two different directions. You know, obviously for Herod and for Manan, they, they went in two different directions, and so it is with probably many of you, that the people that you held dear to your heart and still do, and were close friends with at this point, because of the gospel, because of their rejection of the gospel, they've chosen a different path. And so we keep praying for them, though. Just as I'm sure Manan uh, was a man who continually prayed for the heart of Herod to turn from darkness to light. Now here what we see is a contrast between these two men, though. And, and so it's interesting how it was that... Um, that uh, Luke, as he wrote the book of Acts, made it a point to say that Manan was a friend of Herod the Tetrarch. A nice contrast being drawn here. And this was one of the men that were grouped together with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and the others and were giving themselves to worshiping the Lord or serving him and uh, praying and fasting and just continuing to grow. Now, the question is, why are these men identified and, and not the rest? You know, you, you could have gone through the list. Who else was there? I just want to know about everyone else. Well, perhaps they were men who were closest to Paul, these men that were listed in Barnabas, men who had great influence on them and were therefore mentioned. We don't know for sure, but we do know that they played an instrument, instrumental uh, part in setting them apart, in being a part of the, the group that was praying for them and laying hands on them and sending them out into this calling that they had on them. Now, evidence of them being set apart is seen in what they were doing. Number one, we see them in the middle of worshiping the Lord. That is, ministering to the Lord. In the New King James Version, it says that uh, they were ministering to the Lord and they were fasting. This was something that they commonly did. They commonly fasted. This didn't have to be for you know three days, five days, or ten days. Uh, you could fast on a regular basis for different things. And so they, that's what they set themselves apart to, to worship the Lord or to minister to the Lord and to fast. Being set apart by God to do a work requires one to be set apart unto God beforehand and be ready for when he does call you to be set apart for a work. So it's, it's, this, it's, it's a work that you do before you even get there. It's like, well, how do, how do you do that? How do you get like a, a call to do that? Well, first prepare yourself to be that very person that God can call upon because you're ready, your heart's ready, your perspective is ready, and you're willing, you're available, and you're prepared. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
We are ministering to the Lord as we learn to do that which pleases and honors Jesus Christ. We're ministering to it. It's interesting. I remember the first time I heard someone say, you know, we desire to bless you, Lord. And I thought, well, that's backwards. Why, why did he say that? You know, we bless the Lord. No, it's like, who are we to bless the Lord? You know, he blesses us, and I don't see how it can be turned around. Well, it's kind of like the relationship between a parent and a child. You know, when a child learns what it means to be obedient, what it means to follow instructions uh, willfully, without having to be reminded over and over again, right? Coerced with a, a thin strip of leather or anything like that. Doesn't it bless you as parents? It's honoring. It, it, it's honoring. It's, it's that special moment to where it's like, wow, that was, that's exactly what I desire and my, my son or my daughter followed through with that. That's, that's just an example. That is the very same thing that happens when we learn to be obedient to the Lord. What pleases them? We desire to do that very thing, and we do it. And we do it. It blesses him. That's what it does. It honors the Lord. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He will keep them. And so with all, what all this means is that we minister to the Lord with our lives. We're living sacrifices unto him. They are the very sacrifices that are to be holy, that is set apart and acceptable, righteous to God, which is your spiritual or your reasonable worship and service. And as we choose to do this, we set ourselves up to be set apart by the Holy Spirit to do a specific work. We, we ready ourselves. We're in that mindset already. We're ready as we read God's word and then we're confronted with the situation. We discern this is the moment that God has for me. He has called me to this very moment right here and I'm ready. I have a word ready and it's fit for this very moment. We prepared ourselves. We ready ourselves. But the question is, why would we do this? Why? Because we make ourselves servants of the one who has bought us with a great price. We just partook of communion. We were remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. How can you ever repay someone who has delivered you from eternal condemnation? How many lifetimes would that take? All eternity. You were delivered from darkness. You were delivered from eternal suffering. You were delivered from the flames of hell. You were delivered from eternal separation from the Father. And how was that accomplished? It was accomplished by the suffering and shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. When he stretched out his arms, and when he said, Tetelestai, he said, it is paid in full. It is done. And what we did this morning is we took the elements, and we took the bread, 
and we partook of the bread. We took the juice and we, we drank the juice. And the juice is the very shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness. Why? Because there's no payment. And he would not be a just God if there was no payment. But he did it for you. Why, we ask? Why would we do this consistently? Why would we desire to do this very thing, to live in such a way that we ourselves are sacrifices, living sacrifices unto the Lord? Because he gave us everything. Because he's forgiven us. And we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, that is why. We desire to serve him and glorify him, demonstrating our love for him by being obedient. So first of all, number one, be set apart from things that would keep you from doing his work, his will. Number two, be set apart to the Lord. Be available and ready for what he desires. This requires you to be and remain a living sacrifice unto the Lord always, always. Number three, listen and discern when the Lord sets you apart for a specific work. Paul and Barnabas and the others were worshiping the Lord and fasting before they were sent and then fasted and prayed. Then having been prayed over, they were sent. Where? Not, not sure. You know, they were, we, we know from what we read, but I, I don't know if they were too certain just go in this direction, but they simply started moving, searching and knowing. And, and searching out and then trying to discern exactly what it was that the Lord wanted them to do. But we know that they were praying. So this is being set apart. Number two, they were sent out. Verse four, as we continue. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Let's stop there for a moment. They were sent out, so they went to the island of Cyprus. But we need to first acknowledge who it was that sent these two men out. It was the Holy Spirit. You see, God had a specific work for Paul and Barnabas, and he sent them out to accomplish it. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, the church simply acknowledged and they agreed and they confessed and they laid hands and, and they said, go, you, yeah, you have been commissioned by the Lord. Go and do that good work that he has called you to. But it wasn't the church that sent them out. They, they didn't get together and figure out, well, where is it that we need to send a group out to? Well, let's send out Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus. You know, maybe that'd be a good place. There's a lot, of, a lot of immorality going on there, and, you know, it wasn't that. The, the Lord knows. The Lord knows every little thing at all times in every place. And it was the Holy Spirit that sent them out for this particular work for these men. We know according to Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, that Paul had an overall calling by the Lord to be a witness of Jesus Christ to Gentiles, kings, and we know the children of Israel as well. 
we, you and I, have a general calling as Christians to be witnesses to everyone also. In our own Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, we, we are willing to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in our own local areas. Those people that we have direct influence with. And then from there, we go to a little further. And we're willing to go out a little further and, and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. And we continue. We, we're even willing to go to the ends of the earth. If the Lord calls us, would you go? And the answer should be, yes, I would go. Where do you want me to go? Oftentimes, we're the ones that are saying, no, Lord, you know, I'm comfortable here. This is like, please bless this. Right? Like, I'm comfortable here, and I'm, I'm like in my own little zone here, and so this is where I'm most effective. And he's saying, so oftentimes he's saying, no, I'm going to stretch you out a little bit. I'm gonna, and by stretching you, he's, he's growing you. He's, he's teaching you how to trust in him and have faith in him and look to him at all times. You and I have a general calling to be witnesses for him, to everyone around us, and to be available to him for whatever it is that he calls on us to do. Now, for Paul and Barnabas, this was one of the, those moments so after having been prayed over, commissioned, and sent by the church in Antioch, they sailed to Cyprus from Seleucia, landed in Salamis, that is the eastern coast of the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean, and then from there they made their way to the west coast, to Paphos, but along the way they stopped at every single synagogue that they possibly could, and they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone along the way. And it's when they got to the town of Paphos that something specific was pointed out for you and I. And don't think for a moment that everything that happened up to this point was insignificant. I'm sure that much took place from the time they landed on the island of Cyprus to the moment that they came to Paphos. There was so much that took place. But when they arrived at Paphos, they met this certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, or son of Jesus, is what that means. You know when you're on a road trip? You ever been on a road trip? And everything, like, everything is so special. You know, you stop here, you do this, you do that, you experience all kinds of things. But then there's that moment you know that, oh, yeah. You start talking with your, your family, your friends, your buddies, or whatever, and, and you start reminiscing about that road trip, and, and then you think, oh, yeah, that moment, that moment, yeah, that really sticks out. This is, for them, I have no doubt that if Paulibus and Barnabas, Paul, Paul and Barnabas were talking about this road trip, this was one of those moments where, hey, you remember when we... When we finally got to Paphos on the island of Cyprus, remember that crazy Jewish magician? That's what we're going to learn about. That moment. Well, know this. There is a reason why the Holy Spirit has brought this specific story to the surface for you and I. So take that into consideration 
And let us seek to understand why. Because we've all been in that situation where there's just like something that sticks out. Well, God brought this to the surface for you and I. Barnabas, who we know, had grown up on the island. But the question is, is that why the Holy Spirit sent them there? I really don't think that that had anything to do with what was about to happen at this moment. The point of this is that they were willing to simply go. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit, and they were proclaiming the word of God as they went along. Something for us to keep in mind. Wherever the Lord sends you, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that should be set before us. But for some reason, this was the very situation that you and I are about to learn about and be encouraged through and learn from. Cyprus, like many other places in the world, was known for its immorality and its spiritual darkness. Do you ever notice that as you know, we go through the Bible and we see how it was that the gospel was presented to a people, it always talks about, yeah, and they're known for their immorality and for their darkness. And it's like, yes, in the absence of Jesus, there's always immorality. There's always spiritual darkness. This is common. This is something that just is. Because man strives always to appease the flesh, thinking that that is the meaning of life. I mean, just look around you. For those that that don't have Christ in their lives, it's all about me, myself, and I. You look on social media. Just kind of browse for a little bit, and you'll see that it's all about the person. I've done this, I've done that. And social media always, always kind of blows things up, right? You can be whoever you want on social media. But darkness is everywhere that the light is not. But when the light enters, oh, how bright it is. So now, having been set apart and sent out, they come to two men. And the situation that was worth including the details of here. We see a Jewish magician and a false prophet named Bargesus, or son of Jesus, a Roman proconsul named Sergius Paulus. It says here that he was intelligent. Just wanted to make that point, um, that he was intelligent. He was a man who was responsible for an entire province and was under the Roman Senate's power. And so this was a powerful and authoritative man. This is a man who is well-known, and he was, he was the, uh, the one that was authoritative in that area, in that province. And Sergius, Paulus, called on Paul and Barnabas to tell him about the gospel. So set apart, sent out, and finally, save the loss. Verse 7, as we go back and then continue, he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. 
Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, there are times when the person you're witnessing to is very resistant. And that's oftentimes expected. You know, people just simply, if, they, if they're not open to receive and to hear you out and, and ask genuine questions, then oftentimes you're, you're meeting some resistance there. And so you keep praying, you keep sharing. But then there's other times. Have you ever been witnessing to someone and you have a third party? And you know like that fly that just doesn't go away? You're just, you know, kind of doing that. It's like that, oh my goodness, kind of like, can you just leave? <laughs> I'm talking to my friend here. Let me talk to this person. It's that person that, that person that makes every attempt to turn the one away from the faith that it seems like they're going in the, that direction. It's like, oh, no, don't do it, John. Man, I'm going to lose you as a, as a party buddy. And, and, and I'm going to, man, you know, those road trips, we're not going to be able to take anymore. It's like, no, I know what this means. And don't do it. You have those people. I've had those people. Well, even Luke, as he's writing Acts, he doesn't want to call him Bar-Jesus. He's that son of Jesus. And he's like, no, Jesus, there's one Jesus Christ. It's my Lord and Savior. And it's history, interesting how he now calls him Elimus the Magician. For that is the meaning of his name. Oh, well, we're just going to call him Elimus. And he's a false prophet and he's also a, a magician. This was the very man that sought to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And so he opposed them. That's how he is described. He, he was opposing them. Anyone who opposes the work of the Lord, specifically the evangelizing of other people, makes himself, and this is, you think that Paul was a little perturbed? He was a little, he was a little bothered by Elimus the magician, wasn't he? And he wasn't subtle. He was very direct. Because anyone who opposes the work of the Lord makes himself, number one, a son of the devil. It's like, well, those are strong words. No, they're fitting words. You're doing the work of your father, the devil, because you're opposing the one who's come to offer salvation in God's grace. And the en enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants your very soul. And he'll stop at nothing to destroy you. Always remember that. This person makes himself an enemy of all righteousness. Well, not all. He, maybe he can talk to him some other time. No, no, no. You just made yourself an enemy of all righteousness. Right now in this very moment. This person is full of deceit and villainy. Villainy is, is wickedness. And is only trying to undermine the work of God. I remember this one man being very upset at me because I was sharing the gospel. He was so mad. And he came up to me and rebuked me. He 
he said, he told me, we were in, the, uh, in a parking lot, and he says, you know, shame on you, sharing the gospel with these, these people. And I'm like, what? He says, you know, that one to, at one point I was doing the very thing that you're doing, and, uh, and you know, what you do is you make them accountable. So how, how is that not good to explain to someone how it is that they can be saved? He says, because without you going to them and explaining the gospel, they wouldn't be accountable for what they know. And so you bring condemnation. I said, no, I don't bring condemnation. So they, they remain in their condemnation while they remain in their sin. But this, this was a man who was like, came out of nowhere. Have you guys been witnessing and, and you like experienced something like that? It's like weird stuff. It is. It's like, what in the world is this? People who are possessed and they, they try and do things that uh, are just literally out of this world, just, just wild. They try and undermine the work of God. That's what they're doing. Now, notice that Paul discerned this because it says here, it, it's described, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he called them out for who he was and asked God to take care of him and God did. It's interesting, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of people would abuse that if we had that, you know, to where it's like, yeah, just make them blind. And God said, okay, you know, blind, 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 <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, no, 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 I believe. <laughs> Don't make me blind. But um, this is what Paul discerned. This was the undermining work of the enemy. Now, for Elimus the magician... His physical blindness simply now matched his spiritual blindness. But he was really made ineffective in his effort to try to, try to turn Sergius Paulus from believing, from having faith in Jesus Christ, from being saved. I, I love this story. It should be encouraging to you and I. So we, can, we can declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone and think, Man, this guy just totally, like, just wiped everything. And then what they see is something genuine in your life, in a difference. They say, no matter what this person tries to do, the Holy Spirit is really bringing conviction. And coming and bringing to my mind, my heart, the reality of what you're telling me. And they respond. Because notice that after Paul addressed Elimus and he was made blind, that the proconsul believed and surrendered and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Not, not because, and it says here, not because the magician was made blind. It's like, wow, I'm in awe. That is some power there. It wasn't because of that. It says here that he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Like, that's true? That's where the power is. The power is in the blood of Christ on the cross at Calvary. That's where the power is. Like, he did that for me? I remember when I first realized that, that I, I really took that into account. I thought about it. I thought, that is some love. That is a perfect love. Paul was a man who knew opposition and encouraged Timothy to not be timid, but to exercise courage. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
God encouraged Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, talk about preparing us for the work of the ministry. In, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And then in John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So in light of everything that's happening, in light of all the opposition, the undermining work of the enemy, remember that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The church is simply being purified, strengthened, made to be what it ought to have been this whole time. That's all it's doing. I told you guys from the very beginning that even though I don't, I don't like what's happening, I know that it's, it's serving a purpose, a greater purpose, and God is allowing it. And I believe that the church is better off having gone through it and still being in the midst of it. The church is still the church. Because the attempt of the enemy is to always make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. That is just what his nature is. That's what he does. So discern, stand up by stating the truth and what the intent of the enemy is. So call him out for who he is. Do not tiptoe around that. Make a contrast. This is who he is. This is who Jesus, this is who God is. This is what his work is serving to do. This is what God is desiring is done and accomplished in your life. The intent of the enemy is to destroy. But God, the power of God, will always do what you cannot. You cannot save anyone. God does that. Be faithful to speak the gospel and let God do what God does. Sim simply desire and have a passion for the lost, and God will put you in those situations where he can use you. So number one, Put yourself in a situation where you are available and ready for whenever God calls you. Be set apart. Number two, as you're sent out, make sure that you're ready for any situation and know that the Lord is with you. And he is not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline, control, self-control. Because as we do that, we can be used to lead people to salvation. Be set apart from anything that keeps you from being set apart to God and to do his work. Be available and willing to be sent to proclaim the gospel. And finally, be of the same mind and desire to seek and save the lost as God is. For God desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is what it means to be on mission for the Lord. Are you ready? Father, I pray that we are ready. If we're not, I pray, Lord, that right now you would forgive us of the sin of not being wholly given to you. 
pray that you would fill us, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Your word tells us in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I pray, Father, that we, like Paul and Barnabas, would give ourselves to serving you, to be those living sacrifices, ministering to you, blessing you, honoring you, So at the moment that you call us to do a special work, that we would be available and willing to do that very thing. And so, Lord, go before us, pour your spirit out upon us, and thank you for being patient with us. May your grace abound. In Jesus' name we pray.